Well, good morning. Good, good morning. Am I on? Yeah. Good morning once again. I just want to tell you how, how beautiful you are. Not, not just uh, physically, you are beautiful that way, but in who you are. I especially want to honor those who have run the race a lot longer than I. Uh, Carl and Doris, uh, our uh, missionaries, uh, 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 Norcoms, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, and uh, our great runner here, Dora, Doris Salem, uh, Jim Garrett, all of you who have, have set the pace for us and continue to be an incredible inspiration. So honor you and rejoice in every thought of you. Father, we thank you for this morning. I just feel so humbled standing in front of these great heroes of the faith. Thank you for their example. Thank you for how they've persevered in many, many difficult places, and yet they've continued to run. Pray, Lord, that you'd bless the words that I share. Anything that is of me, I pray it'll quickly be gone. But I thank you that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart in Jesus' name. I'm going to try to do something I've never done on stage here, but uh, this is a stage, isn't it? Uh, yeah. We were up in Ohio, and thank you so much for praying for our ninth grandchild. His name is Joseph, named after Joseph of Arimathea, and he's doing well, and so uh, we, we were up there, but uh, we played charades one night, and uh, I had a friend tell me that I'm the second worst charades player <laughs> that he's ever seen in the entire world. So here we go. I want you to tell me what I'm doing. Okay, crossing the tape, and uh, that's, that's going to relate to what I'm uh, going to speak about today. Uh, I was a track runner, and we were taught not to run to the tape, but to run through the tape, and that is a really, really difficult thing to do, and you've seen photo finishes at the Olympic Games where the guys are grimacing, and the winner is the guy who gets his chest across first, not his head, not his foot, but his chest, so you You've got to lead with your heart. You've got to go through that tape to be declared a winner. I remember an Olympics, I remember Finnish runners so well. And uh, this was the 1976 Olympics in uh, Montreal, Canada. I think it was the 5,000 meters. And this Finnish runner is fighting for a bronze, a third-place finish. He's right next to another guy, and he literally dives. He, he, he thinks he's a swimmer. He dives across the... The, the, the tape gets its heart across before him gets third place. So it's so incredible to remember not to run to the tape, but to run through the tape. And that's going to be a part of the theme of what I'd like to share uh, this morning. Uh, the adventure of prayer related to continuing to run the race. You have maybe not heard of an, uh, sorry, a Kenyan runner by the name of Iliud Kipochi. 
Anybody heard of him? You'll probably, all right. Uh, Iliad ran in October of last year the first marathon ever under two hours. Some of you remember Roger Bannister running the sub four minute mile the first time in 1954, ran 359.4. I remember those times. Anyway, uh, Iliad ran a paced marathon in Vienna, Austria, October. He had 41 different pacers that took uh, time uh, pacing him. And he runs an incredible time of uh, two hours, 59 minutes, 40 seconds. It was unheard of. It's, it's, it's considered one of the great feats in track and field. And uh, this guy trained for seven months at 8,000 feet in his hometown or home area of Kenya for the effort. He's uh, a multiple a marathon winner, an Olympic gold medalist, and you'll hear about him in Tokyo. But listen what he said about running a marathon, and it has a lot to do with running through the tape. Iliad spoke about how each kilometer was just as important for him to be successful. It's not enough to begin well. We need to run well throughout and finish well. And this is a direct quote. Now, in the marathon, the first half is just a normal run. At 15K, 20K, everybody is there. When the marathon starts is after 30 kilometers. That's where you feel pain everywhere in your body. The muscles are really aching, and only the most prepared and well-organized athlete is going to do well after that. I'll go with a pace, but after 30K, I'll change to my own pace. And if you are ready to follow me, then we can go together. The point he makes there is at 30 kilometers, three-fourths of the way through the race, that's where the running really gets tough. And we shouldn't be surprised as we continue to press on to the tape that there are huge challenges for so many of us. Running gets difficult at that point, but I believe, even as Iliad spoke about the race beginning at that point, he actually thanked the 41 other runners that paced him and uh, said it was a team effort. He couldn't have done it without the six that ran in a V formation in front of him, the one behind. They were always there encouraging him, keeping him on pace. He ran 26 miles in approximately four minutes and 30 seconds a mile. I mean, just an unbelievable pace. I want to suggest, and I will suggest, that as believers, we can only do well in our race by being in daily, I say daily communion with our Father through the study of his word and prayer and in continuous fellowship with our pacers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to just remind us of these things this morning. And I'd like to speak on the topic of the adventure of prayer. We are, so many of us, prayers that pray continually. Some of us, I think, need to pick up our pace running toward that tape. But let me give you a couple of personal, exciting examples to me of how God answered prayer in my life, in our lives, Ruthie's and mine. Remember clearly back in 1978 or 1979, we were in Poland on yet another Polish tour with Living Sound. 
sang typically always in Catholic churches, sometimes even in cathedrals. I mean, it was an amazing time of ministry. During that 10-year period, about 100,000 received Christ, or at least prayed a prayer and received the book indicating they wanted to entirely embrace Jesus as Lord. We came to this one city, and we were told that the concert's going to be outside on a stage outside the church, and we thought, that's fine. We had done outdoor concerts in Poland before. No problem with that. We started pulling our gear out of the bus, and it starts raining. And not a heavy rain, but a rain that you could not set electronic equipment up in and play safely. So I, I remember calling the team together, and uh, busy day, not a long prayer, short prayer. I said, let's just pray that the Lord will stay the rain so that we can have the concert, preach the gospel, and we'll be good. And we prayed. I remember I led the prayer, very brief, very simple, no emotion, really. And in about a minute, the rain stopped. We set up our gear. We did the concert. I was the one preaching that day. I invited people to Christ. And I don't know how many responded, but I know there were some, because always people responded, sometimes in the hundreds. And, uh, and then we uh, started pulling down our equipment, and the rain comes again. It starts raining. Now, the cynic would say it would have stopped raining during that moment in time, whether you prayed or not. I totally disagree with that. I believe that the rain stopped because we prayed and asked the Lord to stay the weather. 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, listen to this part, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. Peter writes, He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I believe those beautiful Polish people had a divine appointment that day, and we just happened to be the vessel that was there to deliver the message, and I believe the Lord stopped the rain so that we could proceed and preach the gospel that morning or that afternoon and invite people to Christ. I've already demonstrated and acted and uh, talked about Paul often described the Christian life in athletic terms. Let me read the way he described the race, and you've heard these verses many times. I just love them. I've got to read them to you again. Acts 20, 24, however, this is a verse about paying whatever it takes. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race. If I may cross that finish line, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining, straining, straining to get my heart over that finish line toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.24, this will remind you of Eliud's seven months of training at 8,000 feet. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air, though I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is alluding that it's even possible for a man, an apostle of his stature, to be disqualified. We are to run. We are to continue. We're to press on. And we're not to be surprised of the great challenges before us. So many of you can describe them even more specifically than I can. The scriptures continually inform our prayers. Let me just uh, share a few of my favorites that I've memorized some of these verses, some of them in King James from years ago, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way uh, prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. Proverbs 16.3 in the Amplified is similar. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. All of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Psalm 199, 11. How can a young man, I read this when I was a young man, I still feel like I am, but I'm not quite, quite as young. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In that same psalm later on, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Psalm 121, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going from this time forth and forevermore. Here's one from 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians perhaps. For we walk in the flesh. We are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God for the pulling down of strongholds. And as much as we refute every argument, uh, and so it goes. I'm forgetting the last part. But uh, verses that have been instructional and guided me in my praying over the years. Let me, let me end this section with 
Acts 2.42. We've camped around this verse in the Sunday night seminar. Jim is doing an amazing job of, of taking us to what the church fathers and the early heroes of the faith, uh, how they prayed, how they lived. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what happened every Sunday, and prayer was a huge part of their lives day by day. Jim, uh, as I said, has been teaching the Sunday night seminar, working toward a suggested creed for the New Testament church. In prayer, Jesus, of course, is our example. He, long before day, would go to a quiet place, maybe on a mountainside or somewhere where he could be alone, just to commune with his father to hear what the instructions for the day were. He began communing with his father each morning. He did only what the father instructed him to do. That's the way our church fathers live their lives, the saints that have gone before us, and it needs to continue to be our way. Jesus is our example on prayer. Now, Jim, you're going to be embarrassed by this, but I want to tell you that I love you and we love you. Jim is a scholar a gifted teacher, a mechanic, a coach, a whatever-you-need-to-do kind of a guy. I remember a year or two ago, I was at his house, and Greg, you were there. I think Mark was there. Your dad was way up in the tree, probably 15, 20, 30 feet up, taking down huge branches with a, with a chainsaw, and, uh, and his sons were out there just kind of watching how it's going to turn out. I mean, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was comical and funny and amazing, and it was just exactly Jim. But what I love about you more, brother, than anything is you are a prayer. You get up at 4 in the morning. And I, I am quick to say that I believe you pray for all of us. And we are so thankful. You are setting the pace for us, showing us how to continue to run the race that is before us. You're living out the adventure. You're living out the travail you're living out the great work of prayer daily. Another fun example, I came to ORU when the school opened. My first roommate was Ed Burdick from New York, uh, New York City, well, New York State. He was really New York, very, very intense, very focused. In fact, he was one of the most focused guys I've ever met. Ed uh, was a boxer. He had a couple of boxing matches. Uh, they weren't sanctioned by the Boxing Commission, but they were in the, the halls of the, of the dorm just for fun. And, and, and it, was, it was really a great thing to watch. Incredibly fast hands, about a featherweight, like 115 pounds. Ed uh, would go to, you know, we'd go to the cafeteria. We'd come back home, uh, back to our room. And sometimes I'd be walking kind of easy and on the sidewalks. And Joel, and he, he would be walking faster. Joel, if we cut across the grass there, we can save 15 seconds, get to our rooms to study more. And I thought, man, that's, that's amazing, Ed. And, uh, and many times through the day, he would say, Joel, let's pray about that. And we would pray together. He'd lead in the prayer. And he said, Joel, if you're not successful, I'm not successful. And he would pray blessings over me. If I'm not mistaken, Ed Burdick was the first ORU graduate to go to medical school. He was incredibly focused. And he lived a continual, exemplary life of prayer. I thank the Lord for Ed Burdick. When we were in uh, 
Ohio. I, I came across a book. Some of, you, some of you may know this by Paul Miller, A Praying Life. And we're taking care of the kids, washing dishes, going out for walks. I did a lot of prayer walks with uh, Lucy the dog. It was great. But sometimes I got a chance to read a little bit, and then I've actually pretty much finished this book, uh, Paul Miller, A Praying Life. And I want to just kind of liberally quote a few things he says. Paul Miller has lived uh, a life of prayer for decades. He says, it took me 17 years to realize I couldn't parent on my own. It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill one another. I was incapable of getting into their hearts. I was desperate. But even more, I couldn't change myself. I couldn't change my self-confident heart. My prayer journal reflects both my inability to change my kids and my inability to change my self-confidence. That's why I need grace even to pray. And I'll have a couple other quotes from uh, Paul here. Uh, in fact, let me just go through them right now. Paul says in his book, Praying Life, God, uh, in, in his book, uh, talks a lot about life in the desert. The hardest part of being in the desert is that there is no way out. You don't know when it will end. There is no relief in sight. God takes everyone he loves through a desert. And there are so many examples. You know so many of them. It is his cure for our wandering hearts, restlessly searching for a new Eden. The still dry air of the desert brings the sense of helplessness that is so crucial to the spirit of prayer. The desert becomes a window to the heart of God he finally gets your attention because he's the only game in town. You cry out to God so long and so often that a channel begins to open up between you and God. When driving, you turn off the radio just to be with God. At night, you drift in and out of prayer when you're sleeping. Without realizing it, you have learned to pray continuously. The clear, fresh water of God's presence that you discover in the desert becomes a well inside your own heart. Another one of my great experiences in prayer was when I was first asked to lead my first Living Sound team. We, we went into multiple teams in 1973, and our, our second team toured uh, Southeast Asia for five months, starting in 1973 in the fall. Flew from here to Japan for a week, then to North Korea, we had one set of wool suits that we wore at all the concerts. North Korea was freezing cold. It was just a, a big challenge. Uh, and quickly I realized this, this is the baptism of fire that the Lord has prepared for me. And I'm so grateful. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. We flew into uh, Hong Kong, did some concerts there. We realized that we're down to $60 petty cash for the entire team. We had our plane tickets, but that was it. And uh, remember the last meeting in a Hong Kong church, I got up and said, 
you know, we're scheduled to fly into Saigon. This was at the end of the war in Vietnam, and we didn't want to go. We have tickets, but we don't have the, the money to put our 1,000 pounds of freight on the plane, and the offering was generous. We were able to go. About two nights later, we're under a starlit sky, 85 degrees, incredibly humid. The commander says, within a month, 40% of these men you're seeing too will give their lives for South Vietnam. I mean, it was, it was just incredible. We, we went from place to place, just knew that it was the Lord uh, preparing the way for us. But we also had a lot of issues on the team. Two of our guys had grown up with some different theology. They felt like things were too tough, and they were king's kids, and and so they kind of uh, decided to kind of be on their own and uh, had a heart-to-heart come-to-Jesus talk with those guys. I said, hey, guys, there's planes flying back to America every day, and either you guys are going to be a part of this team or we'll find a plane for you in two days. And the Lord spoke to them, and their hearts turned, and, and they became a part of the team and made a great contribution. We, we flew into uh, uh, Singapore, into Thailand, into Indonesia, uh, one of our singers uh, goes, uh, gets news that her dad is dying, has to go back to Tennessee. Another of our girls gets sick in uh, Singapore with hepatitis. She's there for a month. So we're down to one female singer and, and the guys. And, uh, and every time uh, it's time to fly, I go visit uh, the, uh, uh, the local uh, officer at the airport f- with the airline. And uh, always prayed a prayer with one of my trusted friends, Tom Hall. And uh, we just pray and ask the Lord to give us favor. We pray a prayer of agreement, actually, that the Lord would make a way for us. And every single time I'd go and talk to the, uh, the guy at the airport, I said, you know, we're on our way. We're a, a Christian band, whatever was appropriate at the time to say about exactly who we were. And uh, we'd love to go on your airline, but if, if you can't give us free passage, you know, I can take these tickets to another airline. And if I remember correctly, every single time, this was like six or seven times, I was getting pretty good at that speech, by the way, after a while, but we were granted favor. The Lord answered that prayer, answered the prayers for the team. We ended in the Philippines, no concerts uh, scheduled, got a month there, approached the church, one of our team members, uh, had a connection to the church. They arranged a month of schedule for us. It was an amazing time of ministry, just step to step, just praying, asking the Lord for his provision. I remember came back to Honolulu and uh, had that speech to make one more time. I think it was United Airlines. I went in and talked to the officer, and they said, hey, done this tour of a Christian band. We're on our way to home. We're, we can almost smell Seattle. You know, can you, can you help us? And he said, hey, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you put your... Uh, gear on the pineapple plane the day before. I said, hey, that sounds great. Let's do it. So we, one of our guys went on the pineapple train. and uh, uh, Yeah, it was, a, it was a plane, actually. And uh, we got the gear home. But again, the Lord continually answering our simple prayers, asking that he would help us to continue our journey on. So I'm, I'm simply wanting to make the point, as we ask, even as a child, saying, Lord, I can't, I can't make it to the end of this day unless you help me. The Lord was faithful to us, and he continued to be. And by the end of the tour, this team that went through such hardship, we lost a parent, uh, sickness. The team was almost going to come apart. We were united like we had never been before, and we still consider each other great friends. 
It was because of what we learned in the desert, in that difficult place. Let me just quote Paul Miller just quickly here, and I'll wrap this up pretty quickly. Paul writes in his book, uh, A Praying Life, prayer is a moment of incarnation, God with us, God involved in the details of my life. What do I lose when I have a praying life? Control, independence. What do I gain? Friendship with God, a quiet heart, the living work of God in the hearts of those I love, the ability to roll back the tide of evil. Eventually I lose my kingdom and get his. I move from being an independent player to a dependent lover. I move from being an orphan to a child of God. Then he says, I find the closer my prayers are to the heart of God, the more powerfully and quickly they are answered. Yeah, prayer is where I do my best work as a husband, dad, worker, and friend. I'm actually managing my life through a daily prayer time. I'm shaping my heart, my work, my family. In fact, everything that is dear to me through prayer in fellowship with my Heavenly Father. I'm doing this. I'm doing that because I don't have control over my heart and life or the hearts and lives of those around me. But God does. Paul talks about how, how he goes about praying. I won't go into detail, but at the end of the book, he, he, he t- talks a lot about journaling, and he keeps cards on every person that he's praying for with a, a scripture verse that he attaches to that person, writes down specific requests, and continues to go through those cards faithfully, continually, daily. And he'll add answers to prayer on those, on those cards as well. So something to think about, journaling, uh, keeping cards, keeping a record of the prayers that we pray and God's answers to them. Gordon brought a wonderful word on prayer. Let me just kind of reference that just here at the end. Gordon stated accurately and clearly that prayer precipitates revival. Pray without ceasing. Talked about persistent prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, 2 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I like the way Gordon emphasized the uh, absolute words that we find in Scripture continually. Pray continually. Be joyful always. I suspect, Jim, you can verify this, also mean the same in Greek, always and continually. We need to take this as the absolute true word of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. That, that's, that says anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Gordon went on to uh, Romans 8, 28 and 28, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that Words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That has been my experience many times flying into new countries, into difficult situations, into war zones. 
praying in the spirit, praying continually for hours and sensing God's peace and an assurance that he is with me, with us, and, uh, and knowing that he will not only be with us, but will lead us and guide us in that particular mission. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, and I'll sing with my mind. And then Gordon uh, talked not only about persistent prayer, but persevering prayer. Let me read this one other passage here from Luke 18. Uh, you, again, know this so well, but let's, let's read it this morning. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always, that they should always, that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And Gordon illustrated that about how his mother and grandmother, who is here uh, today, uh, prayed for him for three years. And he was miraculously saved in a Kansas City hotel room, delivered from drugs. His life transformed. He's preaching the gospel today in Ohio and continues to travel the world to carry the message of Christ. And Gordon shared how he prayed for his own father for five years. And he came to faith. And Gordon baptized him in this baptismal as an answer to persevering prayer. He gave the example of George Mueller, who, who said... Pray and pray and pray and never give up until the answer comes. He told the example of George Mueller praying for a friend for 73 years that he would come to faith in Christ. That man did not in George's li George lifetime, but at George's funeral, at his gravesite, this man surrendered his life to Christ. So uh, having said all this, I realized that some of you are going through very challenging times. And let me read one more passage. I said one more, and then I'm going to do one more here. But here we go. Yeah, we're not quite done here. First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians. You'll remember how that chapter begins. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it, comforted, it is for your comfort. 
which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, even in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, listen to this, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. As we finish this service with a time of prayer, I want to invite you to come if you'd like for prayer concern anything. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a very difficult, dark time. I remember, uh, again, a Poland example. We were doing concerts in a certain area, and we had uh, a convent where we stayed. We'd have to walk through a path about 600 yards that was beautiful in the day. It was a big forest and a narrow path. We couldn't drive our bus through it, so we'd have to leave the bus about about 700 yards away from the place, and we'd walk through that path. Well, at night, when we'd come back from a concert, it was so dark that we couldn't even see each other. We, we only could communicate by just talking and sometimes singing, just telling funny jokes, just to kind of tell each other we're still, we're still together. We were just walking through, and it was a darkness that if you didn't talk, it was almost overwhelming. It was that dark. And you might be going through that kind of a, a darkness. But I want you to come. Even as Paul said, your prayers have uh, sustained us. And uh, as an answer to your prayers, we will be delivered. So, uh, but at the end of that path, we could see the lights of the convent. It was the most beautiful thing. And the Lord is here to minister to you. Paul Miller says, the name of Jesus gives my prayers royal access. They get through. Jesus isn't just the savior of my soul. He's also the savior of my prayers. My prayers come before the throne of God as the prayers of Jesus. Asking in Jesus' name isn't just another thing I have to get right so my prayers are perfect. It is one more gift of God because my prayers are so imperfect. So, uh, Father, we just humbly lift our arms to you, saying, Abba, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to be faithful, to run the race set before us when the running gets hard, when life at times gets dark, when we're in the desert place, when we feel like we're entirely alone? Help us, Lord, to, as Paul said, forget those things that are behind and press on to the prize that is set before us. Help us 
not to run to the tape, but to run through the tape. Thank you for the saints that run with us, that pray continually for us. And thank you, Father, that you're here to meet us even now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.